RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. Associate Professor Payul Mukherjee is a strong advocate for gender equality in medicine and surgery in particular. Because gender roles are developed quite early, she says, the issue needs to be addressed at schools. Payul Mukherjee is an ear, nose, throat surgeon with a special interest in ear surgery. She's Deputy Chair of the RAC State Committee of New South Wales and an Associate Professor of Surgery at the University of Sydney. And she was a finalist in the 2019 New South Wales Premier's Woman of the Year Award. With a particular passion for innovation, Payul's completing a PhD in new technologies in ear surgery. As one of the few females studying technology, she's pushing for greater female participation in STEM disciplines, that is, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Chris Ashmore asks Associate Professor Mukherjee why she chose surgery as a vocation and how rewarding it's been. Extremely rewarding. As I went through medical school, I wanted to be a doctor to help people and I really was quite attracted to the sciences. But then when I became a doctor... I suppose I identified with surgeons as dynamic people who displayed a lot of leadership in the hospital. And then when I grew to be around surgeons and observe the art of surgery, I found it extremely rewarding that you could speak to a patient, identify that problem, actually take them to theatre, fix the problem yourself and follow that through. And to see that complete cycle of care was quite attractive to me. That's what drew me to it and the reward that I've got out of it has not yet gone away. You were a finalist in the 2019 New South Wales Premier's Woman of the Year Award. Now, you're you're a passionate advocate for gender equality in medicine and society more broadly. What inspired you to become such a role model or leader in this area? Several things, actually. I mean, through life you have experiences and they form your opinions and your actions. My role at the moment, I'm a deputy chair at the New South Wales State Committee of RACS and I'm also doing a PhD in new technologies and innovation within my area. So uh, both when I'm discussing in groups of research as well as technology as well in surgery and leadership, it is not unusual to be a minority as far as gender is concerned in a room. I've found myself once in a conference with the total complete female delegation in the toilet because there was only one other female uh, apart from me and I wanted to change that. And then, of course, as you grow through life, I have a daughter and I don't want my daughter to experience the same barriers that I faced coming through surgery as a female And I wanted to change that. So the more I started looking at gender and connecting with other females in surgery, the more I found that those gender roles actually start quite early. And as far as gender equality in surgery or in medicine, I actually really think that if you want to make real change, we need to start right at school. So that's then advanced my gender advocacy into education, into young girls as well, which is actually so rewarding. So if I can ask, when your daughter's ready to start a career after school, would you encourage her to choose perhaps medicine or surgery as a stepping stone or as a, as a career? 
I'd love her to, but that's her choice. Mm -hmm. It is very sad. Sometimes I hear some medical students come up to me and they have fathers who are surgeons and they are glad to meet female surgeons because they want to do surgery and their fathers have told them that it's not a profession for a female. That makes me very sad and I would encourage as many daughters to challenge those opinions of their parents and find out for themselves. If you can take us through... A different topic, if you could take us through the RAC's domestic violence position paper, why do you think it's relevant to surgeons and what's the college hoping to achieve by releasing it? Well, domestic violence is the biggest humanitarian epidemic facing women. It's half the world's population in our society. And the problem with domestic violence is how it's viewed in society, it's seen as a social issue. It's not really seen as a medical issue so much, particularly amongst the medical fraternity. Therein lies a huge problem because, ironically, doctors are often who victims will confide in because they see them in a position of trust. And apart from GPs, surgeons are also in the front line of that care. Often they see the really gross trauma that affects it. But in the clinic, in an outpatient setting, you also see the subtle signs as well. And not having the awareness and the fact that this is actually a medical condition, you don't take the next step of not just putting a Band-Aid on the trauma, but taking a history as to the cause of that trauma. And that is been identified by the Royal Commission, by the WHO report, as a huge barrier in getting victims to feel supported because it's We know that the most crucial step is when they're disclosed and then they're believed and then if someone actually treats them with not compassion but also takes an interest in the cause, they're more likely to then take the next step and take the courage to disclose it and do something about it. And I think that we are in such a powerful position to make an impact on the victims that um, it's a shame that that opportunity gets lost and that opportunity gets lost often and that's exactly what we want to change through this position paper. What do you think then needs to be done? Is it something that governments have to step in with based upon recommendations that the college makes or is it a societal change? What needs to be done from here? Look, I think that's a huge question. So so much needs to be done. But all you can do as a community, I suppose as surgeons, is that you can change your own action And that's the primary goal of the paper, for us to raise awareness amongst our colleagues to say, this is not something that, you know, is going to be dealt with down the line by psychologists. This is something you have to identify and you can't refer, you can't sort out the entire problem, but you've got to identify it and then refer to colleagues, work in a team like we do with all other problems and step-by-step support this person, get through their journey so they don't come present back with other injuries. The other thing is also there's a cultural change amongst our colleagues as well. I mean, domestic violence is not something that we see in patients. We actually see it in our workforce and other workforces are much better at identifying them but within surgery particularly with women being a minority being a victim is a sign of weakness and you don't show your weaknesses if you want to be uh, performing in a competitive environment and the point of it is also to raise compassion amongst our colleagues to be able to support each other better so it's all about the safety of the patient and if you've got somebody in distress who for example worried about the security of their child or their own safety at work, their capacity to perform to the best of their abilities will be compromised. And we need to be able to be supportive of our colleagues to be able to get through that. 
So it's also to open that window of clarity as well and change the culture internally. And then, of course, from employers in a hospital environment that will hopefully raise awareness amongst them, amongst the HR, amongst the government, who are ultimately the employers and the public hospital system as well, to examine their policies and have support mechanisms available for our doctors, for our nursing staff, for our allied health professionals, as well as our patients. Well, in terms of different demographics, are there other trends that you see with domestic violence? Yeah, look, for the first thing is domestic violence can affect anybody, doesn't, irrespective of socioeconomic class or education or racial background. However, in Australia, it is far more common in the Indigenous population and also we are a binational college and there is definitely higher incidence in the Maori population as well. So we have to be aware that areas that have a higher representation of those groups will have higher incidence of that and ironically they're also linked with um, increased risk of alcohol abuse as well. So that's just something to bear in mind. Recently, the New South Wales government reversed its 1.30am lockout laws and also extended closing times for takeaway liquor outlets from 11pm to midnight. Why does this concern you? I understand there's pressure from different ends, but from our point of view, facing these patients at the front line of trauma, you do see a direct link with this to the incidence of trauma that we see in our emergency departments. And it's not just extending the availability of liquor, but of course, there's now online forums as well, which are actually quite unregulated. So that concerns us because we expect that there's going to be now a direct link to this to the injuries that we see and of course in the context of domestic violence although alcohol doesn't cause domestic violence it certainly fuels the fight and the fire that accentuates the severity of the injuries and the incidence of it so there is a link there as well and it's extremely concerning and disappointing that those rules are being relaxed at a time where we need to stick to the course because it's actually showing good evidence of benefit. Associate Professor Payul Mukherjee. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.